But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that as John uh, leads and guides us through this text, you would illuminate it to our hearts and our minds, speak through him, and help it to transform our lives and our understanding and bring us near to you. In Christ's name, amen. So the question I've had on my mind all week is, what do you do when things get wonky? Uh, part of that comes from an experience I had about two weeks ago. I was helping a friend through a really long race, and I was in Crown King, Arizona, and coming down off of that hill when the uh, tire pressure monitor in my car went off, followed by perhaps an expletive from my mouth. I don't know if you've driven down that road, but having the tire pressure monitor come on there is not a convenient place because it's like a deadly cliff all around. And so I'm starting to do math and watching the tire pressure go from 34 to 32 to 30 and going, how long is it? Okay, this, it's not a blowout, but this is going to be bad fast. I hope to make it to the town of Cleeter. Again, if you don't know Cleeter, Arizona, population of about a dozen, the whole town was sold last year for $900,000. It has a general store and a bar. I was thinking maybe the general store will be open. Maybe they'll have fix-a-flat because the can of fix-a-flat that I did have in my glove box, I used on my father-in-law's lawnmower last week. And so this is great. We get to Cleeter and I take off the tire. I have a spare. Uh, but the compressor won't blow up the spare. It's one of those collapsible ones, and I have a picture of my car in front of it. I made it to Cleeter. This is good news. With about 10, 10 PSI left, uh, that's the town of Cleeter. There's a bar and a general store, and I go up to a guy's trailer that's right behind there like, don't shoot me, don't shoot me, don't shoot me. Hey, do you have an air compressor? No. Another guy stops. He has an air compressor. Again, his air compressor, it's battery-powered, won't get the, the tube to go boop to where it needs to be. So I go through the trailer. He says, oh, go ask Ron. And I go across the street to Ron's house. It ended up being Judy's house. Uh, here's a picture of Judy's house. And I go, Ron? No, Ron's not here. He's next door. And he's kind of angry a lot of times. I was, what do you need? 
uh, do you have an air compressor? And she did. <laughs> Judy, with no teeth and a big heart, saved the day. So I get this air, you know, the tire blown up, get it on the car, and it's, you know, it's a donut, and so it's, it's wonky. The car is not driving as it should. But a funny thing happened by the time I got home. I was used to it. I was used to it. Like, you're used to the pull. You're used to it, and I'm like, maybe I'll just drive the car this way for the, forever. This is working. You just get used to it. And I think for many of us, when things aren't right, we, we recognize it at first. There's you know, that pressure light that goes on in our hearts, our lives, our conduct. There's, there's something that's off kilter, but then when we just continue living with it, we get used to it, and nothing really changes. Last week, in the letter that Paul writes to this church, he talks about his acceptance with the apostles. And even if, you know, I'm re looking at my ESV Bible, it says, Paul accepted by the apostles. But then, in verse 11, the heading above it says, Paul opposes Peter. Stuff got weird. It got wonky. There's a change of direction and intent here is the letter continues. He, he goes from having this courage in the gospel that Anthony taught on last week to things being wonky. And as we've seen throughout this letter, there's a whole lot that is at stake in this new, fresh community of faith. In this passage, it has with it a lot of dynamics that can be difficult for us to understand, you know, almost 2,000 years removed from it, and a lot of density in it. And so what we're going to hone in on in kind of my three-part working outline is this. We're going to look at the people involved, the patterns that surfaced, and a different kind of power that helps us when things get wonky. And so as a reminder, this letter, like all letters, are from a person to a people. And it's easy for us to just, you know, read the Bible. What are, God, what are you going to speak to me today? But we have to remember the context that this is coming from Paul to a people in real life. And he's dealing with how a community can and ought to stay centered in Jesus and or return when it gets wonky, when it gets weird, when it gets off of center. What happened is this. Peter comes from Jerusalem to Antioch, which is in the area of Galatia, of these groups of churches, and Paul has to confront him. He says this. He opposes Cephas, who is Peter, to his face. He gets all up in his grill. He, he gets in his face. Why? Because he was hanging with the people that were part of this movement to get God's people off focus and out of center. He, he was first hanging with the Gentiles. It was all fine. But then you see there's a party. There's a group of people that come from James and Peter changes his behavior. Peter changes how he operates based on who is there, based on who's observing this church. They come from James, and Anthony taught last week, maybe they're part of the in crowd, and he fears them, and he retreats, which then has a ripple effect in the church. There's a saying in the military, I've been told, about stuff rolling downhill, I think. And even Barnabas, who in the biblical account of Acts and other letters, the biblical account is really, really kind to Barnabas. He seems like a guy you would want to be around, but he is negatively impacted by this. He's led astray by their hypocrisy. And at its root, most agree that this hypocrisy is a racial and a nationalistic superiority that brought divisions and distinctions that Christ had destroyed. 
In Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, chapter 2, he talks about God uh, breaking down that middle wall of separation through the cross. And by these people coming and, and Peter separating himself from them, he is resurrecting that wall that was meant to be broken, around, broken down by a racial and nationalistic superiority. And so Paul confronts is the fear and hypocrisy was hurting people and ultimately threatening this community. And whenever stuff gets weird, it always has to do with people. It never happens in a vacuum or removed from people. And there's something in this that as I was reflecting this week that I find really encouraging about this text and also discouraging. People are just a paradox, right? And, and I'm encouraged by this passage because I see where there's people, there's problems. And it, I don't know about you, but I just go, ha, ah, I'm not alone. This is something that is, you know, as Beauty and the Beast said, a tale as old as time. Where there's people, there's problems. When there's institutions, there's difficulties and roadblocks and wrong ways and all these sorts of things that, again, have been happening all throughout human history. Fear, hypocrisy, factions, it's all been going on forever. While we see and experience that today both inside and outside the church, it's, again, what we see and experience today is unique to our time and there's unique challenges, but it's been around forever. But here's where I'm discouraged and frustrated, more so probably with myself, is because it seems like change is really, really hard. Peter, the apostle who was with Jesus, has patterns probably a couple decades after the resurrection that he's still dealing with. Peter had been with Jesus. He had been preaching, leading. He's still prone to folly. It reminds me of this Brennan Manning quote that is one of my personal favorites. He says this, when I get honest, I admit I am a bundle of paradoxes. I believe and I doubt. I hope and get discouraged. I love and I hate. I feel bad about feeling good. I feel guilty about not feeling guilty. I am trusting and suspicious. I am honest and I still play games. Aristotle said I'm a rational animal. I say I'm an angel with an incredible capacity for beer. <laughs> if you want a really good biography, uh, Brennan Manning, all his grace is his story and he struggled with alcoholism all throughout his life. Is this not us? Is this not people? Is this not Peter? And where you see people, you see patterns at play. Fear and hypocrisy are the undercurrents of it all. And so what is fear and what is the fear at work here in this text? There's plenty of definitions. If you want another good book, uh, When People Are Big and God is Small by Ed Welsh. He's a Christian counselor that deals with the fear of man at a really deep dive and, and is helpful in a lot of ways. I, I offer you a two-word working definition that came to my mind. Uh, it's identity amnesia. Fear at its root is identity amnesia. It's when we forget who we are and what we have in Christ, and it leads to all sorts of nonsense and unhelpful habits and patterns in life and relationships. 
When, when you think about your tendencies that are unhealthy and unhelpful for yourself and those around you, do they not all trace back to the fact that we forget who we are in Jesus and operate out of that neglect? That's me. My anger, my frustration, my lust, whatever it may be, all of that flows out of a distancing from who I am in Christ and all the riches that he has gifted me. That's where fear and hypocrisy come from. Fear is that root and hypocrisy, as Anthony talked about a lot last week, is the fruit that's seen. Operating out of fear manifests itself in a different way, in, in a few different ways. Maybe you can identify with some, and probably, if you're honest, if I'm honest, it's all of them. Uh, Steve Cuss, he's um, a pastor and, and author. He writes a lot about um, anxiety, and he says when we tend to be towards fear, some of us get bigger, others of us get smaller, and I'm adding some of us shapeshift. So when we experience fear, some of us get bigger louder, larger than life, like we, our personalities expand. And you see this in Peter. Peter in the garden, as Jesus is being betrayed, he's fearful, what does he do? He gets bigger. He takes up the sword and is like, I'll solve this problem. Jesus said, I was going to die him. Nope, not this guy. Hiya! And Malchus's ear is chopped off and Jesus is like, that's not the way. And what a, what a sight to see Jesus put that ear back on. Amazing. He gets bigger. In another situation, Peter gets smaller. After that, he's by the fire and people, you know, he's, he's hiding. And, and, and rather than, uh, you know, taking up the sword from Jesus, he just goes to deny. He, he hides in denial. And then here, he shapeshifts. He's fearful of these people, these Influencers, whoever they are coming from Jerusalem, apparently they had some sort of social capital and, and he gets into a different identity and shapeshifts and pretends. And so forgetting who we are and the freedom that we have in Jesus, in, in the words of Anthony, to not give a rip in the right kind of way, that was prefaced well, thank you, Anthony. Um, all of that, when, when we don't lean into that, some of us get bigger in fear, some of us get smaller, some of us shapeshift, and some of us could do all three in one argument with your spouse. Happy Mother's Day. Proverbs gives us a helpful image of what fear is and how it operates. Commit this one to memory, it's short. Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. If the analogy is true and fear is a snare, what happens with snares? Again, multiple options just like fear. When we're trapped in a snare, some of us uh, choose to just like mutilate ourselves to solve it. it. That verse makes me think of the movie 127 Hours of the climber that was in Utah gets his arm stuck. It's a wild movie and his only solution for that was self-mutilation, cut off his arm. And, but he's alive, okay? Some mutilate themselves to, to solve the fear and, and inflict more damage on themselves than necessary. Others, when caught in a snare and in a fearful position, they just attack, right? And so if you think about an animal caught in a snare, uh, or you see those videos of, you know, 
horses trapped in mud or a deer trapped in the ice and somebody goes to help, their, their reaction is to, to attack those that are attempting to help and we can do the same when we're caught in fear. Or I, I think what most of us end up doing is kind of like the spare tire, we just become one with it. And you're trapped in a snare and you have these unhealthy habits and patterns with people and you're just like, hey, is that, is that good? And you're like, that's oh, a piece of jewelry, what are you talking about? We just become one with it and, and kind of, you know, maybe decorate it a little bit and blame it on our Italian heritage or whatever it may be. But there's a better way. And this is what Proverbs tells us. The fear of man lays a snare, but those who trust in the Lord are safe. Trusting in the Lord looks like getting help in those things. And at times it means being confronted or confronting another that is trapped in that place. This is what Paul does in confronting Peter. And it's just important to note, he doesn't tweet about Peter. He doesn't talk to other people behind Peter's back. He doesn't gossip or slander. He goes to Peter's face. And he loves him by confronting him. Ed Welsh says in that book, God's love is costly love. It never takes the easy path away from relationships. Instead, it, this is God's love, plots how to move towards other people. It thinks creatively of ways to surprise them with love. Now, this is not a license to, uh, one, I heard one pastor say years ago, fault find or sin sniff with other people. You always use that line, fault finding or sin sniffing. And maybe you've been in those communities where there's like, kind of the holiness police that are going to confront you on whether or not what you did was or wasn't right. I saw you out in public. That didn't look like apple juice you were drinking or grape juice. It's not a license to, to be condescending, uh, prideful, arrogant, setting unrealistic bars and expectations for people. But, but the key in confrontation is this, when conduct is not in step with the truth of the gospel. That's the key to the confrontation. When the truth of the gospel is at stake. A little fun Greek for you. Uh, that word, in step with, is the Greek orthopodeo, which is where we get orthodontics, orthopedics from. It's literally translated, he wasn't straight walking with the gospel. He was out of line, he was wonky, it was crooked and not in step with the truth of the gospel. And so Paul's confront, confronting of him is not to put him in his place, it's not to shame him, but it's to get him back in alignment and centered with Jesus. Paul's hope for Peter and therefore the church is that they would be aligned for flourishing. If any of you have ever had a broken bone that is out of step and out of alignment, the, the pain you endure through surgery and recovery is so that you might flourish further in life. That's what Paul does here. The people and the patterns that destroy and, and distort the community of God were at stake or were causing a negative impact. And so the solution for Paul was to confront him and point him back 
to the truth of Jesus. He, he gives him a different kind of power. The reasoning that Paul then goes on and explains in this letter is, is dense and is difficult, but it's important for us to understand. And here's what I think that we often go wrong is that we settle for morals over Messiah. Like we settle for just uh, give me a checklist of what I'm supposed to do and not do rather than a, a deeper, better, more beautiful work in Jesus. Paul doesn't go up, slap his wrist, and go, you missed a thing on the checklist. But, but he goes all the way to the, to the depth of his heart. He shows the power in the story of Jesus. And there's two words that are on repeat in this text, justify and faith that were used commonly in the Roman world that Paul then implements and utilizes for the work of Jesus in the gospel. Again, it, it's a little dense here, hang with me, but the, the Greek here is diakiosin and pistis. So pistis is faith, justification is that other word that starts with a D. And here's a little bit of a dense quote to help us understand them from Teresa Morgan. Uh, she had a very uh, important work on the first century Greco-Roman world and these two words. And so I'm just going to say justification and faith. I'm translating them for you all um, to save face. Justification and faith are chief among qualities which make human associations possible. For Cicero and others, those are writers around this time, faith and justification or justice are jointly foundational for any state. Sometimes justice is specified as the foundation of trust and sometimes trust of justice. When faith and justice come together in Greek and Roman texts, the power of each to forge social relationships, create polities, and change socio-political landscapes is multiplied. So in that world and in that time, those two words worked together to do things. There was a power from them. And what Paul is pointing Peter and the Galatian church to here is what happens in the gospel is belief and trust in Jesus that places us in this right relationship with God in one another gives us this power to how we relate. It gives us this power to sustain a community. It gives us this power to relate to one another rightly and consistently. Not through what we've done or could do, not through uh, adhering to the Jewish customs and laws as, as Peter and this party from James would want to uh, inflict upon these people. But Paul is saying in and through Jesus, there's this whole new community, this whole new humanity that has a different kind of power. And in this text, he's saying the law that was given to Moses was utilized, and we'll see more of this in Galatians as he draws out this argument more. It was pointing forward to that sense that we could not save ourselves and were dependent on God in and through faith. The law sets this template to realize our need and find life and rest and hope in Christ alone. And so this is the, the source that Paul lays down is a corrective for them in the patterns of fear and hypocrisy. He, he's giving them something so much better and deeper than just stop it. Don't do that anymore. 
That's not good. He's showing them something that can actually sustain them and this change needed in life. Keller, in his book, Galatians for Use, says Paul's approach makes all the difference. Paul did not simply say, you're breaking the rules, even though Peter was, but you've forgotten the gospel, your own gracious welcome in Christ. Paul did not focus so much on the sinful behavior as on the sinful attitude of self-righteousness that lay beneath it. God did not have fellowship with you on the basis of your race and culture. Though you were good and devout, your race and customs had nothing to do with it. Therefore, how can you have fellowship on the basis of race and culture? And he gives the verses that draw out that argument. And here's the my hope and desire for us all today is that we would see how this big idea of justification, that, that we are put into right relationship with God and therefore one another, and that happens only through faith and belief and trust in Jesus, that that reality would actually change our daily functioning. The temptation for many of us is to take this thing called Christianity, called faith, and we just hold it as some ideas out in the ether. That's a word Anthony likes, the ether. It's a cerebral, mental kind of thing that we hold to a little bit in our minds, but we really struggle to get into the trenches of our hearts and our lives. It was never meant to be that way. It was never meant to be Jesus came to give us some theories that we can believe and therefore we go to heaven when we die. He was after something so much bigger and better. And for those of us in this room that have experienced, well, here's what you need to believe and that gets you into heaven when you die and here's a list of rules that you need to follow that are based on whatever time and tradition like it sells so much of this power that God gives us in the gospel short. That he gives us this grace, this truth, this transforming gospel that can break chains and habits and fear and hypocrisy in our life and lead us into new life and witness together with one another and into the world in a new and beautiful way. Isn't that what your heart longs for and yearns for? It is a bit less just behavior modification. You don't need another set of rules and regulations from me or anybody. You and I need a good news gospel power that leads us into life, that breaks chains and sends us forward in freedom for witness and joy. You see, that's what the gospel does. It gives us alignment in life. I remember years ago, I I memorized uh, Galatians 2, 19 through 21, and for whatever reason, 19, probably because it rhymes a little bit, at least in the King James, I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I memorized it, but have never, like, gotten even close to comprehending that concept. Paul, through the law, died to the law so that he might live to God. Anthony's going to go into that more next week, and he says he's been crucified with Christ and what that life of the Christian looks like. 
But it's a wonderful thing that Paul says through the law, God's story pointed him to the fact that he couldn't save himself, they could not justify himself, that he had to die to himself through faith in Jesus so that he might live to God. That's a power that gives alignment in life. That's the gospel, not just simply in the air, but on the ground. When things get wonky with people, when old patterns of fear and hypocrisy are brought up, this is how God's people are to do life with one another. Brennan Manning again says, to live by grace means to acknowledge my whole life story, the light side and the dark, In admitting my shadow side, I learn who I am and what God's grace means. As Thomas Merton put it, a saint is not someone who is good but experiences the goodness of God. And then this is one of his most famous lines. My deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ and I have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. Now let's take a second and imagine what that might look like for our lives and for our community. What kind of freedom could that bring in your life, your relationships, your marriage, your work, if you simply lived in that rest, in that hope, in that truth, that you are loved by God and you are set free from the burden and bondage of sin? And that if and when you're out of line, if or when you're struggling with fear or hypocrisy, rather than attempting to solve it on your own, you just simply went and got help. For some, that's as simple as just asking a friend to pray for you. Or on a Sunday, getting up and just saying, hey, I need prayer for this. I'm afraid about this. I'm experiencing just getting help. For others, it may be a deeper work of getting professional help through counseling, therapy, somebody trusted, pastoral care. Just getting help and allowing the gospel to confront those spaces and areas of inconsistency in your heart. So many of us are lacking freedom and power because we're just holding it all up in ourselves. We're trapped. We go, I'll figure it out. More of the same of this will solve this problem, surely. You know, I say that because this is me, Mr. Self-Sufficient up here. But what if today we surrendered? We allowed the beauty and truth of the gospel to confront us in the ways in which we're out of line, the ways in which fear and hypocrisy have reared their ugly head, have wreaked havoc in our relationship, and we just walk forward in repentance and faith yet again. This is what we're to be about a people that continually remind ourselves and one another, first and foremost, who we are in Christ and what we have in him. This changes communities. Friends, how how much does it reassure you that when you're struggling and you share that with somebody, rather than them trying to, to fix you, solve you, whatever, they just look you in the eyes and love you and listen and remind you, not in a cliched way, but in a, a truthful, honest, powerful way of who Jesus is and what he's done. Friends, Jesus has died to deal with your sin yesterday, today, and forever. 
Jesus has died to take care of your shame yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus has died to set you free from the need of impressing people, whoever they may be, living or dead. Jesus has died to set us free from all of that and keep us aligned and centered in life. It's not as simple as this, but here's how we fix things when they get wonky. When it comes to people, we need to deal with it face to face when the gospel is at stake. And when the gospel isn't at stake, let's just suspend judgment and practice love and curiosity with people. We don't have to fix them when the gospel's not at stake. Just love them in their weirdness because we're all a bunch of weirdos that need love. When it comes to patterns, we need to get to the core. Don't settle for surface solutions, but allow the truth and power of Jesus to reach to the fears of our heart and deal with the hypocrisy in our lives. And ultimately, and finally, the good news is that all of this comes from a new and different power that we have in Jesus. Maybe it's as simple as just reminding us all today of just how much we have in him. You have everything you need. And I know life is hard and it's overwhelming and many of you are facing really big mountains in life of uncertainty and pressure. You have everything you need in Christ. He is so with you and so for you. And all he's asking you and me together today is to just place our hope, our trust, and our faith in him. To align our hearts and our loves with his and to follow him and invite others in for that journey. Let's pray. So Father, we thank you for your word that you bring good news. If it's paradoxical, I guess the bad news is really bad that we are sinners that are dead in our trespasses and under your judgment and we cannot save ourselves. We cannot keep your law. We cannot hold even our own standards. But then this good news comes in of there being a savior named Jesus who has paid the penalty that we deserve and gifts us new life and freedom, and power. And for those of us who have received it, we admit that often we can struggle to know and understand what it looks like to live in that. We still struggle with fear. We still struggle with hypocrisy. And so today, for those of us who have trusted in you, Jesus, would you, would you spark our imaginations again of what it looks like to realign with you and walk in the truth of the gospel? And for those of us in this room who maybe have not placed our trust in you, may today be the first day of salvation, a first day and a step towards hope and new life in you. And thank you that you wait for us all with open arms. And so as we respond now, would you be gracious to let the truth and beauty of this gospel sink deeper into our hearts? In Christ's name we pray, amen.